Tonight we'll be in Romans chapters 12 and 13, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, Romans 12 and 13. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for our opportunity to sing to you, to give you worship and all the praise you, you deserve. Um, we've set aside this time in our lives to dedicate it to you. Our ears are open, our eyes are open, our hearts are open to everything you have for us. Um, we've prepared our hearts, we're prayed up, we're worshiped, and we're ready to hear and receive. So we pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and our guide tonight and lead us into all truth. In Jesus' name, amen. In this amazing book of Romans, God, uh, Paul is switching gears now to how to live a life. Um, this is one of the, some of the most practical chapters in the sense that it's not... Um, it's not the internal workings of salvation or anything like that. It's, it's uh, here's what's expected. Now that we've gone through all of the things, your steps, your um, seasons that a, a believer to, from a non-believer to a believer to go through, and we've understood our salvation and what's happened to us, how it works, the mechanics of it all, what God expects from us is in these final chapters. Um, in my life as a, just a, a man who loves God, who believed on Jesus, trusted him for my own salvation. I've had to make decisions every step of the way. Um, I had to make some hard calls in my life. Um, and they were all good. Every step I took towards the Lord anyway. And, um, there were times in my life when people would come into my life, different people, you know, I look back at my walk, and some of them were hammers, you know, and, and uh, I appreciate those folks. Some of them were planters. They planted the Word of God in my heart. They had a love for me and a heart for me, mainly a heart for God, and they did their job, but they shared it with me. Then there's waterers, those that would come along and water those seeds that someone else planted, and then there's, there were harvesters that come, came in, and I think every one of us fulfills all of those roles in our lives in different moments in people's lives. You're not just a harvester. Greg Laurie is technically a evangelist. He'd be a harvester, but he spends every Sunday and Wednesday teaching the word of God also. He's a planter also. And before that, he was a street witnesser who would go along and be the hammer to remind people that you're not okay, you know? And that something needs to be done. Just make everybody who is comfortable uncomfortable. That was his mission at the beach, you know. Um, he's done it all. We're all called to that. We're all called to those moments. And I was thinking about, before, while I was studying this, the guy who, I say, led me to the Lord. He was the hammer, um, first of all, in my life. Brian Spafford mentioned him many, many times, probably. Um, he wasn't even saved. He got saved after he hammered on me, who knows how long, about Jesus. And I think what it was, was he was working things out in his own walk. He's just trying to figure out, he was, God was trying to get him born again. And so he's having these conversations with me. Thank goodness, right? I'm for myself, I'm very happy that he did that. But it's like he's working things out. And... See, some people talk to me about, I don't know if I can witness. I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know. This guy wasn't even saved yet. And he was witnessing to me about Jesus and my need for salvation. He, he would hammer me. And that's probably why he wasn't real gentle. He wasn't, you know, he didn't have the spirit yet. He wasn't really saved. And I remember he would be dragging me to these Bible studies off base in Okinawa, um, Officers Fellowship, I think it was called. And Something like that. I don't remember what it was. Free pancakes, you know. You just go eat pancakes. That's all they could afford. I've talked about it. And I remember him going upstairs at one of those meetings. After three or four or five of these weekly Bible studies, he goes upstairs with the pastor, and he comes down born again. You know, he accepted Christ. Well, who does that? Who witnesses when they're... I'm just saying, I'm just saying, when you think you can't be used or you think that maybe you've got to get a little further along... You don't even have to be saved to lead people to Jesus, apparently. You know, I think it helps. <laughs> I'm amazed at what God does and who he uses, you know. And I'm amazed at all the people who uh, 
who have been in my life that I didn't, you know, I think about the Sunday school teacher. I told you about her, the fourth grade Sunday school teacher. And she was there for half of the teaching semester because he had semesters in, in our church. And so she was halfway through and they replaced her. She was too, she's too saved, too born again, talking to me about um, Nebuchadnezzar's dream and the, and, the, and the statue and the golden head and the silver. And I'm like, what is this amazing thing you're talking about? Prophecy. Never heard of it before, you know? And a fourth grade level, she's teaching. I'm like, and I, boom, I was paying attention for the first time. All these people, different jobs, different, different maturity levels, but all being used. Paul here is witnessing to and ministering to these people in Rome who he's never met before, and it's a full spectrum of people. Some of them are probably Pharisees and Sadducees that got moved up there or, or you know, got run out of town or whatever, and they got born again somewhere along. So they kind of know the Word of God backwards and forwards, and they're kind of stuck in some things. Then you got these other folks, these Romans, that don't know anything about the Bible at all. What's a Bible? You know, we know Moloch, but we don't know, you know, whatever God it is in Rome. But we don't know this Jesus, but we sure have come to know him through hammers in Rome, you know. And so Paul is trying to bring all these people. And so he lays out some very basics for us. And the Romans are going to have to make some hard calls here. Some of these things are normal and natural. And for us as Americans, it's not hard to do this stuff. But for the culture that they live in, it would have been really interesting and difficult encounter. Now, we're going to get there and are getting there. You can feel that happening in our country where it's going to be really strange to be a Christian. Um, while I'm sitting here, I don't know what it is on Wednesdays, but Wednesdays is is let's Let's get a hold of JD day kind of thing. I don't know what it is trying to study and all these things. That's okay. But I'm sitting here worshiping and I get this, you know, emergency text that someone needs an, we need a, um, an exemption form, you know, a religious exemption form so I can go to my son's graduation. So, okay. Yeah. I'll work on that later, you know, tonight or something when I get home or whatever. I got to thinking how, I don't know if you've been watching the news, but there's, there's information gathering on these things now. Your information's being gathered. Anybody that's ever got a religious exemption form that's ever been filed with the government or anybody, they're gathering that information. They're trying to figure out what religious groups are doing these things. I'm here to tell you, Calvary Chapel Maryville is in big trouble. I think we've written well over 500 of them for people all over the nation. So, yeah, it's probably not going to go well for us, you know, or, or, or anybody. All that to say is these were hard calls, and they weren't. I'm kind of like that. If the world wants me to do something, I want to go the other way, you know, kind of thing. And I'm so accustomed to just saying no to the world because I, I absolutely know where they're coming from and where they want to lead me and take me, that I will not follow them because I know they want me to go to hell. I know that. The world can only appeal to the flesh, and they only have one goal in mind, and that is to get you to pull away from church, away from the Word of God, and into their world, away from Jesus and into them. So it's an easy call. But for these folks, this will be some of the first times they've ever had to make that call, and it is interesting the first time you say no to the world or to something that's normal, culturally acceptable. So Paul starts off with a word we don't use very often. I beseech you. I don't say that to Jenny very often. Jenny, I beseech you for some eggs or something, or I beseech you. This means I urge you, because that's all Paul can do as a pastor, as a teacher. I urge you. It's the right thing to do. It's a good thing for your growth, for your maturity, for your next level in walking with Jesus. I urge you, therefore, Brethren, believers in Jesus, that's what that means. By the mercies of God that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul is calling them to a place of holiness. Salvation is salvation. 
But God doesn't leave us where we got saved from. God meets you where you are. Of course he does, but he doesn't leave you where you are. He brings us step by step closer and closer to him into a full relationship with him. And so Paul is calling on these unholy people, backwards thinking because their mind is still worldly, hearts still being transformed, raw material in God's hands. I'm calling you to holiness, he says. Holiness is a very tall order. It's an impossible order for us. But every time we take a step towards God in obedience to what his word has told us to do, that is a step towards holiness. So I don't know whether we'll ever be holy outside of the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, that robe that he gives us to wear on the outside that gets us entrance into heaven because of what he's done, not because of what we've done. But every time I move towards God, I'm less of who I used to be as an enemy of God, and I'm more of a friend. I'm more of a son, or I'm more of a daughter to the one who saved me. Holiness is, is a wonderful goal. and he, Not only is it acceptable to God, he says it's reasonable, it's rational. I, 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 I congratulate myself when I do things that are holy, you know. I get down on myself when I don't do things that are right. The reasonable thing for me to do, the acceptable thing for me to do is to be holy all the time. So when I pat myself on the back for getting it right once in a blue moon, sort of, it's embarrassing now as I read this passage. No, that's normal. The fact that you did the right thing, that's normal behavior for a Christian. The book of Acts, when you go through the book of Acts and you see some of the crazy stuff these guys did, crazy faith, you know, um, unbridled faith, un, 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 unimaginable faith, just this wonderful leap every time, everywhere they went. That's normal Christianity. The book of Acts is not abnormal. It's not something in the past. It's not something that was, and now we're bland, to say the least. Well, that's normal. And it isn't that we have to work up into a frenzy, an emotional worship song, you know, or work up into a frenzy, some amens and hallelujahs and hands thrown around. There's nothing wrong with that. Love it. If you feel so led, go for it. But that's not it. Just simply obeying God and stepping into holiness is so radical in this world that it will set you apart, put a target on your back. It'll... It'll set your world on fire for Jesus. Just by walking closer with him, your world will be set on fire. I wish there was more fire in my walk. I wish our church had more fire. Just walk a little closer to Jesus tomorrow. And it'll be insane how much the world will just all of a sudden focus on you and they'll look at you, you know? It's reasonable service. And that word reasonable has a little two next to it. It means it's rational. That's the right thing to do for your growth, for your betterment. It's rational to be holy. Don't be conformed to this world. We want to be conformed and transformed by the renewing of our mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. There aren't three wills of God. Don't, I don't buy that. I don't subscribe to that. Well, there's the good will of God, and there's the acceptable will of God, and then there's that sweet spot that's the perfect will of God. No, all three of these are building upon each other like Jewish tradition. It's the same thing. God doesn't accept anything that's not perfect. It's not like he's saying, well, you're close. That's, kind of, that's acceptable. That's how we read that word. No, no, no. It's the good. It's the acceptable. It's the perfect will of God. That's what he wants for us. That's what he desires. Oh, I didn't get my notes out. It's a really good cross-reference. That's why it won't take me long. He's probably already got it up there already. It's 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. I skipped one. Sorry, Aaron. For this is the will of God. You want to know the will of God for your life? Your sanctification, you being set apart. That's what that means. That you should abstain from sexual immorality. That's the one he picks on. I focus on the whole thing, though. This is the will of God. You're being separated, set apart from this world, sanctification. You take your life and let it be consecrated unto thee. It's in a lot of lyrics of songs and praise worship songs that we sing. 
That's what God's will is. God, what do you want me to do with my life? I just want you to set your life apart for me. Okay. What does that look like? Each and every day when you have opportunities and you recognize them to walk closer with me or closer with the world, choose me and your life will be improved. You're separating yourself from those that choose not to obey me. And like I said earlier, your, your world will be on fire for the Lord. For I say, he says in verse 3, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. He's moving into something here. I want you to set your life apart. I want you to begin to do things for God, to walk with the God, to have holiness in your life. And he's given you each a measure of faith. And I want you to exercise that faith. I want you to use it. I don't want you to think of yourself Higher than you ought to, though. There needs to be humility in this. This whole thing, there has to be humility. But if you operate with this faith that God has given you in humility and don't think of yourself higher than you really are, it's really going to be great. It's going to be great. When the body begins to think that the only use of the feet is to carry them places, to think the head is more important than the feet, that's when we get into trouble. I say that because the Lord calls his church the body. It's the body of Christ. And everybody's got different members. And we're going to talk about that here. Not any one of these members is more important. Any Anytime your feet hurt, the whole body stops. Your head ain't going anywhere because <laughs> your feet want to get put up. They want the shoes off. I just love taking off my shoes. I love it. It's like one of my favorite things. When you get older, you young people are like, what are you talking about? I don't know how to tell you. There's something about taking your shoes off at the end of the day. And I just sit there and I'm like, this is heaven. You know, this is amazing. And my body knows it and it's content because it feels it too throughout its whole body. Body of Christ is like that. All of it is important. Don't think higher than you think. One of the first verses um, that God gave me, uh, did I even write it down? Probably didn't. an awkward pause, but it's okay. Shoot. Let me see if I can remember it. Uh, it'll come to me later when I'm not expecting it. I'll just blurt it out in the middle of the teaching, and you just have to write it down. Anyway, to each one a measure of faith. I've given it to, but do it with humility. For, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. And here's what I want you to use, he says. If you have prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Now, that in proportion to our faith is the only time he says that, but that's, in, that's for every single one of these gifts. You could, you could read that afterwards. So if you're going to prophesy, do it in proportion to your faith. Prophesy. If you've given that gift, do it. Ministry, service. Let's use it in our serving, our ministries, our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. If you have the gift of teaching, teach. Teach. Use it. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. Don't be stingy. If you have the gift of giving, give. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. This is where Paul takes us through an interesting um, transition. You are all one body, but you're all individuals. Some people see this next section as, let me get my clipboard you know, and my pen, I'm going to make sure everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing. You teacher, you teaching? Nope. Okay. And they look at everybody else's gifts and are there to critique how they're using their gifts. That's not what it says at all. He's calling each one of us to examine our hearts and to find out what gift God has given us and for us to do it according to our faith. I was given the gift to teach I don't know when it was the first time I had the opportunity and realized it was a gift. 
I was born again and filled with the Holy Spirit at a different time. And it was at that time I got the gift, but I didn't exercise that gift until I was given the opportunity. And when given the opportunity, I did it. And someone says, hey, that worked. I got something out of that. I'm like, you did? Good, because I was going to throw up the whole time. Nervous, hate being in front of people. I just want to listen and be in the back row. I don't want to be up there. Are you kidding me? But I did it because I was asked to, and so I did it. And I haven't stopped doing it since. Not, I'm glad people are blessed by it, but I'm doing this because this is the gift that God's given me, and I'm, re- I'm required to. I've got to teach, given the opportunity. Now that the opportunity goes away, then I guess I stop, but this is what I do. Each one of us has to do that. Now, you have to find out what your gift is, not look at it, what everybody else's gifts are. You know, the nose doesn't check out if the eyes are seeing, you know, and the eyes aren't checking out the mouth to see if it's opening and closing like it's supposed to. The eyes take care of the eyes. The nose take care of the nose. They take care of themselves. And when we all do what the Holy Spirit's leading us to do, then it works great. The body functions perfectly. That's what he's saying. It's amazing. Psalm 33, 15 says he fashions their hearts individually and he considers all their works. God has a specific plan for you. It's not going to be like everybody else's. You're not going to walk the same walk anybody else has ever walked. There may be similarities. There may be some points of, of, uh, of uh, similarities. That's it. But for the most part, you're going to walk a different walk than anybody else's. And no one can tell you about that. How that's going to, I can tell you you need to walk with Jesus. Be led of the Spirit, but what that looks like each and every day. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. 1 Corinthians 12, 11, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. It's, first of all, the Holy Spirit's gift to you. It's your opportunity to be obedient, and you don't have to. You don't have to prophesy if you don't want to prophesy the Prophecy is subject to the prophet, the Word of God says. Prophet can keep his mouth shut if he chooses to. So it's up to you whether you use it or not, but God wants you to. That's why he gave it to you, and it was a gift. You may think it's a curse because you're scared to death of using that gift because that's not the gift you wanted, but it's for you. And he gave it to you individually for a purpose, and that's to edify everybody else around you too, to be a blessing. Verse 9 says, and this is where sometimes the clipboard gets brought out, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, Continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. That's our first break. It's a longer list than that, but that's his first exhortation to the folks in Rome as to what they should do and what it should look like. Here's, what, here's what's normal Christianity. Let and be. 9 and 10 both start with those two words, let and be. Those are action words. Those are things that are, require us to do. Love just isn't without hypocrisy. I have to let love be without hypocrisy, which means I bring hypocrisy to the table when I love people. It's up to me to make sure there is no hypocrisy when I love people. I am to abhor what is evil. I'm to hate it like God hates it. I'm not to wink at it. I'm not to participate in it. I'm supposed to abhor what is evil. He's telling the Romans to hate what is evil. Can you imagine as they go to the gladiator fights, you know. And the end result is a real human being dies at the end of it. That's how those fights end. Two people come in and one person leaves. That's it. And that one person that leaves is probably dying next Saturday or whenever the next battle is, you know. And you pay money and you walk in and you get your concession stand. I don't even can you imagine what the Roman concession stand was. Weird. Some turkey leg and a a warm something or other. And they sit there and they cheer and they wait for the guy to die. We're to abhor what's evil. That would be for these folks to not show up at these events anymore, which is normal. Are you going to the World Series of Gladiator Fights? No. Kidding me? 
It's disgusting. God hates that kind of stuff. Oh, come on. Imagine how many, oh, come ons the Romans got. Oh, come on. And what a person means by that is, I can see that you're convicted, but I'm not convicted. And you talking about it is starting to make me feel convicted. So, oh, come on. You know, these are hard calls. As I uh, go through seasons in my walk with the Lord, there are, there are times when I'm radically making these calls in my life, and there are other times when I'm very, very complacent making these calls in my life. I've watched it. And you go in and out of these moments, it seems like, and you wish you'd stay red hot. You should pray you'd never be lukewarm, but there are days when there are seasons even, and you find out, what, how did I get here? this bowl of popcorn on my lap watching this. How did I get here? I didn't used to be here, you know? And so you snap out of it and God snaps you out of it. And he's very patient with you. You'll never, ever be disappointed when you choose God and be radical for him ever. Never. You can't be too in love with Jesus Christ. You can't be too on board with his word ever. It never disappoints ever. So he's telling them some basic things. He's your normal stuff. Be kindly and affectionate to one another. Oh, yeah, well, of course. I mean, we have an entire hallmark section that tells us, buy this card for someone because you're kindly and affectionate to them. But that's not the time he's giving us. Those are the easy times. Kindly and affectionate to people that are hard to be kindly and affectionate to, you know, that maybe aren't acting like they should receive any kindly affection from me, you know. That's when he's saying, I want you to be kindly and affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. I say that with that tone because that's how I hear it sometimes. Really, I'm supposed to prefer them over myself. I really don't think they're worth it. I'm way better than they are. You know, just ask me. No, give them preference. Give them preference. Not lagging in diligence. It takes diligence to do all these things. Be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, thinking about that all the time. Jesus is coming soon. Patient in tribulation. It'll come to an end one day. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. Continue in prayer. Don't ever let your prayer life die. And do it steadfastly. Distributing to the needs of the saints and given to hospitality. Make sure you're blessing the brothers and sisters around you that need help. I'm all for giving away whatever you need to give away to someone in need that you run across, may not be a believer. That's fine. But that's not what Paul's talking about. And I don't want to make a big deal out of it because I think you should be a blessing to everybody. You can be a blessing too. But he's making a point here. He's telling the Romans, make sure you're looking out and making sure your brothers and sisters in the Lord are taken care of. Make sure they're okay. If you have it, make sure they have it. Given to hospitality. That's your, that's, your, um, that's your default, is you're hospitable. And he wants them to work on those things. 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. That's straight out of Matthew 5, 44. Kind of wonder if Paul wasn't listening to some of these messages from Jesus. It's the Beatitudes. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Pray for those folks. Pray for them. Pray for them to get saved. Pray for their eyes to get open. Pray for their hearts to be receptive to the gospel. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. But I'm so smart. (laughs) Don't be wise in your own opinion. Okay. Wisdom is wisdom regardless When you think your opinion is wisdom, that's where the problem lies. That's the point. Whatever comes out of my mouth is wise. No, that's having wisdom in your own opinion. No, no, no. You can be wrong. We can be wrong. Don't set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Same mind towards one another. Don't let it be one-sided. Look to them and see them. See the person across from you. Um, this one was a tough one for me today. 
Repay no one evil for evil. Not that specifically. <laughs> I, I can let things go. Although I watched Bo, I was watching his baseball practice before we got here and we had to leave early because we have, you know, it's church night for us. And obviously you're here. Um, and I watched this kid cut in line in front of him. And I'm watching how he reacts to it. He taps him on the shoulder and he tells you, you know, you're in front of me kind of thing. I can see the conversation going on. The kid's going, you know, like that. I'm like, you should shove him. <laughs> you're bigger than he is. You've got two inches on him. You definitely outweigh the guy. You just need to move him behind you like that. That's what I'm thinking in the truck here. Well, I'm getting ready for this spiritual conversation with you. <laughs> he doesn't. He looks at me at times and he goes, he steps back and then they call him over to pitch. They call Bo over to pitch. So it wouldn't have mattered anyway whether he did it or not. He got called over to do some pitching practice and so it wasn't even, he didn't even lose his turn or anything like that. And it's like, okay. Should I have the conversation about standing up for yourself or not? No, just don't repay Evil for evil. He did his best. He tried to work it out, and he tried to live peaceably with all men, as much as it was his responsibility, which is exactly what we're talking about tonight. I'm like, oh, you know, good for you, buddy. <laughs> Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Let everybody see that. It's okay to let your faith be out loud. Let people see that. Here's an interesting one. This is the not... not not the 17 wasn't the struggle, 18 was. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. I'm going to answer that for Paul. It isn't possible. It isn't. And that's what he's getting at. I think Paul knows that. That's why he says that. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all, with, with all men. You want to, but not everybody wants to. But you do your part. You do. As much as you can do on your side of things, live peaceably with all men, but some men will not live peaceably with you. I find I have the biggest problem with people who don't like it when I say no to them or when I say I'm not on board. You can go do what you want to do, but I'm not on board. <laughs> I'm not stopping you from doing it. Go do your thing. I just, I'm not on board with it. Whoa. I'm trying to live peaceably with you. I don't, I don't want to do that. I'm, not, I'm, I'm saying no. And that bugs them. I'm not saying you can't. I don't own this world. I don't own the universe. Go do whatever you want to do. I'm just saying I'm not on board with it. You know? That's my choice. I should be able to say no. You know, and that, that's where people just won't live peaceably. They go just say, okay, I respect that. Okay. Yeah, you don't have to. I understand that you're an individual person and I'm an individual person and you don't have to do what I want to do all the time. But it's important. Try to live peaceably with all men. Beloved, he wants to remind them of that, that they're loved. Do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If, if he is thirsty, give him a drink for in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. No, no, you guys are like, yeah. You want a drink? Where's the fire? That's not what it means. I wish that's what it means. That's what we all kind of hope. Yeah, if I do the right thing, they're going to burn. It's going to be great. No, that's vengeance. That's exactly what he's trying to avoid in our hearts. See, this is where motives come into play. Are you giving the drink of water because you hope coals of fire land on their head and you didn't have to dump them on their head and someone else does it for you? That's not the heart that God wants us to have. The coals of fire is, you, if my fire went out, can I get some coals of fire from you? Because I need to get my fire going again. Well, sure, and they heap coals of fire and they take it back to their fire and they get it going again. That's the idea. Paul isn't like, you, you don't worry about it. You give them a drink of water, God will beat them up. That's... Not it. Now, they may need that, and God will give them plenty of opportunities to not need that. But you let God decide, as the parent of us all, to decide when that spanking comes. I don't get to give it. It's not my job. Because in the process of feeding my enemy and giving them a drink of water, it just may be that I change their mind and change their heart. It's possible. It's very possible. 
That's the hope. It bothers them that they're so mean to you. Why do I hate this person? They're so nice to me all the time. They're always saying yes. They're smiling at me and all this. Why is it that I hate them so bad? That's coals of fire on their head. It's changing their heart towards your relationship with them. Paul says that's how we change the world. That's how you lead people to Christ. It's the loving kindness of Christ that leads people to repentance. It's the change in our hearts. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, which is what I just said. It's the same thing. You do not, do not be overcome by it. Don't let it overtake you, but you overcome it with good. That's how you respond. It's an amazing thing. Chapter 13, we'll skip. <laughs> I'd love to. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. <laughs> I don't know about that. No, I'll explain it. I'm kidding. Paul's right. God's right. Word of God's always right. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to, to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. I'm going to try not to explain it away, but I will hopefully elaborate on it so you can kind of understand because we have to look at the whole counsel of God and we have several people. What happens? And here's, here's my point. Don't you know that they're there for, if you do good works, they're not going to terrorize you because they want good. That's the key. That's the important part. I think, and I'm not trying to explain it away. I think there are, we, I think you need to obey whenever possible until it's in conflict with God and his word. And that's when I don't obey because they're no longer looking for the good of the world. They're looking for the evil of the world. And I'm called to a higher calling, which is to oppose evil in this world. I'm called to that. And so what I wrote down here is what happens when doing good or being godly isn't the reward or isn't rewarded, isn't something that the government wants from you. They want something different from you because we have examples of that. We have Peter, we have James, we have John, we have Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Mordecai, Obadiah, all the wise men. Every one of those people were dissidents. They were disrespectful and did not obey the authorities and the requests made by them, by the authorities. And they were godly people. For the women, there's Jochebed, Rahab, Esther, the midwives, Jael. All mighty women of God that did exactly what God told them to do, but was in contrary to the governing authorities at the time. So, I think you need to keep that in mind. Now, they did it in such a way where they got arrested or whatever. Peter and James were told, do not preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And they said, well... We're going to. We're going to. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even Daniel, was thrown in the lion's den because he would not bow down to the idols. He says, well, you're going to get in trouble. Well, I, trouble finds me everywhere I go because I love God. You know, and this world hates him. So it's not hard to find trouble in this world. The wise men, come back and report to me. Tell me where the child was. God says I'm not supposed to do that. Now, the governing authority said you're supposed to do that, but God told me not to. Who do I obey? You obey God. You obey God and so on. And think about Esther. Think about the midwives. Throw all the babies in. I'm not going to throw all the babies in. We might drag our feet getting there. They were vigorous. They had the babies before we got there. Sorry. I don't know where they are. Disobedient. So there is that. On the other hand, in the spirit of what Paul is trying to teach here, is he's saying, don't think you know all the time what God's doing. You know? You go, our country is just a really funny experiment in the sense that the people get what they ask for, for the most part. We get what we ask for, um, unless it's stolen. Um, but like, you know, for the most part, we get what we ask for. Everybody would agree that if this verse was applied to Hitler, we'd all think, no. No, no, we're not going to obey that. We're not going to put people in rail cars. No, 
No, we're not going to drive them to a furnace. No, we're not going to take all these people and put them in the furnace and burn them up. No, we're not going to do that, right? I think we're all on board with that. And yet somehow it all happened. Somehow the people were convinced that it was the right thing to do. Somehow. Bizarre moment in history. We have many of them, but that's is another one. And yet after World War II, there was so much empathy and compassion for the nation of Israel, the people, the Jewish people, because there was no nation of Israel, the Jewish people, that that's how they got their land back. That's how a prophecy was fulfilled, where the nation of Israel is brought back into the land, and all of a sudden what was dead is now alive, and people are coming back, and the nation that was, wasn't and now is, and it, the, the fig leaf has got bright green leaves on it now all of a sudden. The fig tree is the, is the uh, symbol of the Jewish nation. And so, whoa, you know. So as bad as it is, as ugly as it is, as horrible as these governments are, and how we are, you know, there is some resistance that we put up as believers. We, we do the right thing and not the wrong thing. God does work it out. It does fall into his plan. None of it surprises him. None of it's, we do our part and he does his part. Um, And I'm trying not to explain these things away, but I think what Paul's saying is, look, when they're telling you to do the right thing, do the right thing. You know, Um, there were times though, when they put Christians in with the lions in Rome and many other people, not just them, but that was part of the game. And there was a reason for that because they did not submit to the governing authorities, but it was the right thing to do, you see? So what's Paul saying here? Saying something simple. Don't rebel against the authority just because it's authority. Not not everybody that is an unbeliever in government is an enemy of Christianity. They're just not believers. We don't have to fight everybody all the time, you know? Some of these things can be let go. Somebody say, drive the speed limit. I don't think the government has any right to tell a free human being how slow they should drive. Yeah, they do. You can submit to that. Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. Now, the problem runs that we run into is if we do what is good and we don't receive praise and you get in prison for it, well, you still need to do what is good. That never changes. That's how you interpret this. Do what's good. If the world is pleased with it, they'll give you a thumbs up. If the world hates you, they're going to put you in prison. But whatever you do, do what is good. What's godly? What's pleasing to the Lord? For he, this person who is looking and making sure everybody is doing the right thing, is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. Death penalty. Death penalty isn't an Old Testament issue, it's a New Testament issue, and it's still valid. It's still valid. The government bears the sword. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. Don't be that guy. Don't be that gal that rebels against the laws of man that are meant for good. They're meant for good, you know? There's a lot of simple ones that I could pick on, but look, it's not a hard thing. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due taxes, to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. It covers it all. It covers it all. Now, the beautiful thing about our country This is a government that is us. We are the overseers of our government. They're not our overseers. We're their overseers. And so when I see something going wrong in government, I take it very personally. It's my responsibility to change our government then because it's my government. That guy shouldn't be doing that. That gal shouldn't be saying that. I disagree with that. And that's what we do. It's our responsibility. I don't say them or our government. I'm the government. You're the government. We're responsible for these things. And we have ways to remove these things and change these things. We're called to that. The taxes are too high. Vote for people that don't want to tax anymore, that know how to repeal, that know how to take those things off the books. Good luck, but that's the idea. That's our plan. Otherwise, until then, pay the taxes. Pay them. Jesus is very clear on this. 
He, may, he took it a step further. If, and, and I'll elaborate on it a little bit, but if we would focus as much on rendering unto God exactly what is his, as much as we worry about what we're rendering unto Caesar, we'd be some pretty holy people. If we focused on God and what he expects from us, as much as we focus on how to avoid paying Caesar what he deserves, can you imagine how holy we would be? In Matthew chapter 22, verses 20 through 22, that's the moment. Should we pay taxes or not? Well, the Jewish people hated paying taxes to Caesar because they were oppressors and horrible people. Nero, being in charge at the time, not a good guy. He said to them, Jesus' answer was, whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. He says, and render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. When they heard these things, they marveled and left him and went their way. This is counterculture. This is, this is counterpatriotism for them. This is count, everything Jesus said there was counter. He didn't make anybody happy. He didn't bypass the argument. He made sure the Pharisees were mad, and he made sure the people that didn't want to pay taxes were mad. He made everybody mad that day. That's a hard place to be, but he said the right thing. Why don't you focus on what God expects from you and work just as hard to give him everything he deserves in your life as you do trying to avoid giving Caesar the things that are obviously his, his pictures on it, you know? God's got his picture on you. He places his thumbprint on you. You're a born-again believer. You're his son. You're his daughter. We owe him everything. Verse 8, owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Four, the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying. Namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. I don't have to worry about specifics. I just don't do evil to my neighbor. That's how I fulfill the law. What's the greatest commandment? To love your, the Lord, your God, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then Paul just simplifies it and says, just love your neighbor. And that is loving God because God loves people. So if you're loving your neighbor, you're doing what God's asked you to do. That means you love him. And it all works. It seems simple. <laughs> Then the application comes. It's a little more interesting. 1 Corinthians 13. I better speed this up. We're a little long already. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, and I have not love, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. This is Paul's letter that he explains that I don't care about all the spirituality you have. If you don't have love, none of it works. None of it's effective. You're just a clanging cymbal. If you don't have love, I don't care if you can prophesy and understand all mysteries. And if you have all knowledge, and though I have all faith, that's a lot. So that I could remove mountains, but have not love. I am nothing. You imagine that you could dress up in all your holy garb, be the super spiritual person, moving mountains around by faith, giving people spitting wisdom to everybody, knowledge, everything they ever wanted. But if you don't love God says, you're nothing. You're a waste of time. Step off. That's how important it is. That's how vital it is. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, you're the most philanthropic person. You're the ones at every single protest. You're there, you know, making sure all injustice is eradicated from the world. But if you don't have love, if you're not doing it from love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's what love looks like. That's love in action right there. Verse 11. And do this. This is up to us whether we do it or not. So Paul says, do it knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent and day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, 
not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ to make no provision for the flesh to fulfill, the, fulfill its lust. Paul's just simply saying, it's time to get radical now. It's not time to dip, dip your toe into, the, into Christianity to see if it's warm or hot or cold, you know. He's saying, dive in. Make some calls in your life. Make some crazy, radical, salvation-loving decisions in your life. Bring holiness into your life by choice, by determination. Make that call and just do it. Avoid all these things. Put these things off, Paul says. We don't have time to mess around. Time is short. And he was saying that 2,000 years ago. It's still short. It's even shorter now than it was when he said it. They were expecting Jesus to return at any moment. So should we. We look for that. We wait for that. Put those things off and put on the Lord Jesus. That's his call. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Tonight, Lord, we just we give you our hearts and our minds and our souls. We give you everything. We give you our jobs. We give you our marriages. We give you our kids. We give you our relationships. We give you our, our finances. We give you our prayer life. We give you our uh, devotional life. We give you everything tonight. Lord, as you call us out in our holiness or lack of it, We want to respond, Lord, we want to be holy. We choose holiness tonight. We choose to be obedient to you. We hear your word tonight and we accept it with all readiness. We're ready to apply it to our lives. Lord, we're going to start now. We give you everything, Lord. We want to be this people. We want to be a people that you look at and we're a little closer to you than we ever have been. That are the gifts that you've been giving us, that we're using them. We're exercising these spiritual muscles that you've blessed us with. We're going to get stronger every time we use them. We thank you for tonight. We thank you for a wake-up call. It's, it's, It's time. Lord, bless these folks as they go tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.